Jesus paid it all for me. All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. Praise the Lord. Father, we've come to the preaching hour. We know that you have something to say to us this morning. We know that when we gather together, you said you would come and be in the midst of us. You're aware of every need that is in this house. And Psalm 106 says that you sent your word and healed them. God, I pray that healing would flow through your word today and that hearts that are troubled and hearts that are afflicted would be calmed and peaceful because of your word today. Your word is a lamp to our feet, a light to our path. Your word is spiritual food for the hungry. It is water for the spiritually thirsty. You said, blessed are they that hunger and thirst for righteousness for they shall be filled. God, fill us today with righteousness through your word. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. There is a teaching and a preaching afoot today that says that once that you become a Christian and once you accept Jesus into your life, then everything becomes easy and everything becomes prosperous and health wealth and all of those things just come your way. I wish that that were the truth. I wish it was. But the actual truth is there's a battle to fight. Jesus said in this world you will have tribulation. In fact, the Bible said, uh, talked about the warfare and he said the faithful, the violent, they take it by violence, take it by, by, by a fight. It's not just something you stumble into. It is a concerted effort that is put forth to win the race. The Bible calls the experience, the journey, a race. And he said uh, it's important that we finish the race. And that the Bible tells us that the heavenly umpire will be the one who will determine the winner at the end of the race and he said, let us run this race with patience as it is set before us. Praise the Lord. I've preached about that many times. It's called a wrestling match. And we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but we wrestle against uh, principalities and spiritual wickedness in high places. We're told about fiery darts that have to be quenched by putting on the armor of, uh, of faith, the whole armor of God. And that, uh, I would tell you, is defensive for the most part. The helmet of salvation to protect our mind, the breastplate of righteousness to protect our heart, our feet, and gird about with truth. All of that is, is about defense, except I discovered one good thing about the shoes that were shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. They have nails on the bottom of them. And uh, the Bible said you could do a, a good bit of offense with those nails. You can stomp on, amen, the enemy. Praise the Lord. That's, that's something that's not so defensive. That's pretty offensive if you ask me. And it, it is all about the gospel of the preparation of peace. Amen. It's all about what we're doing here today, preaching the word of God. And I want to tell you something this morning. After all of these years uh, of preaching and pastoring and uh, shepherding people, I'll tell you, if you don't have a love for the Word of God, I would really check my salvation. Right. 
that's something you really need to be disturbed about when you become so casual and familiar with the Word of God that you can turn it off like a radio or turn it on like an appliance. When you don't have a love for and a yearn for the Word of God, then I, I, that, that's a characteristic, that's an indication that something's wrong with you spiritually. Are you understanding? And I, I speak that with a, a compassionate heart today. The Word of God is something you've just got to have because faith comes by and hearing by the Word of God. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. And faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. So then you're actually saying that without the Word of God being instilled in your life, then it's impossible to please Him. It really is. Because faith is the result of hearing, and not just hearing, but applying the Word of God. Amen. There are many people who hear it that don't do it. In fact, there are many people that hear it that it never has any effect on them, none whatsoever. There are people in our church that after 32 years of preaching and pastoring, they're just like they were the day I came here. And I'm sorry to say that, but there hasn't been much change in them spiritually since the day I shook hands with them and said, I'm your new pastor. And it's not that an effort hasn't been made, but you see, when Jesus talks about that ground and talks about how that seed, that a sower goes forth and sows seed, it falls on ground. And some of the ground is so hard that the birds just come and eat the seed and it never has a chance. Some seed falls on ground that lacks moisture and the plant, because of lack of depth, it just, it's a surface situation. It just grows up and for a, a while it uh, looks good. But then Jesus said when temptation comes, it just falls away. In other words, like we was talking about the houses that are built, the storm is the test of the foundation. If it's sand, it'll uh, pop. If it's a rock, it will stand. You see, both of them, and Jesus said it this way. He said, he who would hear these sayings of mine, I will liken him unto two builders. So both of those builders heard the same word. The only difference, they both built good houses. And had there never been a storm, there would never have been a problem. But the storm revealed the substance of their foundation. And one was faulty. That sandy foundation, it stood as long as there were no rain and there was no wind and there was no flood. But when the wind and the flood and the rain came, the house collapsed. It's important how you build and what you build upon. And it's like I was telling you, you can have a lot of problems. Well, I bought a house one time and moved in, and I looked in the bedroom one day, and there was a big crack running right up the wall. And I thought, well, so I called me a sheetrock man, and I got a sheetrock man to come over, and he 
plastered and tore out and redid and put a new piece up and fixed it all up and got the paint right, matched it up, got it fixed and looked good. I said, hey, praise God, good job. About six months, the crack came back. I'm a poet and don't know it. The crack came back. Well, I called him back. I said, hey, you must have made a mistake somewhere with your plaster job. You got to come back, as we say, lick your calf over. So here he came back and he tore it out again, put another piece back up and painted it again, plastered it, sanded it, fixed it. It was great. Six more months, the crack came back. And this time he said, I'll fix it for you, but you need to understand that crack is not your problem. And the reason it keeps coming back is you don't fix the problem. You're fixing symptoms, but you're not fixing the problem. The problem is your foundation has shifted. And that particular pillar that's supporting that wall has sunk. Wow. You mean I've got a problem here, but that's not really the problem. The problem is under the floor. It looks like a wall problem, but it's not a wall problem. It's a foundation problem. Come on, somebody. You see, so many people spiritually try to fix symptoms. Brother Irwin, would you pray about such and such? Yes, but that's a symptom. Well, this is going on and that's uh, happened over there and I got this situation. Would you pray that that'll work out right? Well, we can pray about it, but it's not going to work out right because you've not addressed the problem. You're dealing with symptoms. Is anybody identifying what I'm talking to you about today? You see, so many times we get all bent out of shape over things that are symptomatic of the real problem. The day that we deal with the real problem, the day we dig down and get that root, dig down and get that root of bitterness or that root of rebellion or that root of anger and get that removed then you can throw away the plaster and the trowel and the tape and the sanding because you'll never ever be what God wants you to be until you deal with the cause and deal with the root of the problem now Jesus is a miracle working Jesus Jesus is a savior Jesus is a healer Jesus calms the storms in our lives. I want you to read it with me in Mark chapter 6, verse 45. And straightway he constrained his disciples to get in a ship and go to the other side before unto Bethsaida while he sent away the people. And when he had sent them away, he departed into the mountain to pray. And when even was come, the ship was in the middle of the sea, and he alone was on the land and he saw them toiling and rowing for the wind was contrary unto them and about the fourth watch of the night 
he cometh unto them walking upon the sea and would have passed them by, but when they saw him walking on the sea, they supposed it had been a spirit, and they cried out, for they all saw him and were troubled. And immediately he talked with them and saith unto them, Be of good cheer, it is I, be not afraid. And he went up unto them into the ship, and the wind ceased, and they were sore amazed in themselves beyond measure and wondered. Well, one of the great miracles that is recorded by all four of the gospel narratives is the feeding of the 5,000. That's just happened. And we've got all these baskets of fragments and we've got uh, fish and loaves and everybody has been filled and fed and everything is great. But Jesus then says, let us go over unto the other side of the lake. And he says to these disciples who were still learning, still getting their minds wrapped around the fact that Jesus is the Messiah. Now I want to tell you that was a big hurdle for these disciples. For the Jewish thought, Judaism, their impression of Messiah was more of a military conquest than it was a babe in a manger in Bethlehem. They had envisioned and their, their prophets and their, their seers and their, their uh, men of renown and men of power, men knowledgeable men, had conditioned that group to believe that when he comes, he'll come in power, he'll come in authority, He'll come with fierceness and he'll drive out these Romans and he'll set up the kingdom. I saw a documentary this week. A guy was in Jerusalem and he was walking around with a microphone asking, uh, Americans have told me to ask you when I get here, what do you think of Jesus? Some of you may have seen that. They said, well, some said, well, he was a great prophet. He was a great teacher but he wasn't the Messiah. Some just abruptly said, I'm not religious by any means, so I don't really have an opinion about Jesus. Another said, well, he was the founder of that religion called Christianity. That's who he is. But that's nothing to me. It's nothing to us. Another said, well, he was a, a priest that went astray. He was a priest that backslid. He was born in Judaism, and he even was raised right, but he somehow went away. So I see Jesus as the founder of some heretic heresy. You know, when you talk to the people that God was trying to love and trying to send a Savior, the Bible said he came unto his own and his own received him not. But as many as did receive him, gave he power to become the sons of God. They could not deny in their chronicles how great things that Jesus had done while he was here. They could not deny his miracles. They could not deny his signs. They could not deny the fact that, that when he got to the other side of the lake, he told them, he said, we got to get to the other side. And when they got to the other side, the people started rallying and bringing sick people and carrying them on their beds and bringing them to Jesus. And the Bible said, and they implored him as many as could touch but the hem of his garment they would be made whole. And the Bible said, and he healed them all. 
Wow. I wonder how they would read the Word of God about a Savior who healed them all. Those miracles in history cannot deny the fact that Jesus Christ walked this earth and did miraculous things. When we were there last time, I believe it was, we had a, a guide who was a professor at the University of Tel Aviv in, in Israel. His name was Ami. Ami told us about the miracle of Jesus walking on the sea, and he began on a mountain. He took us to a mountain, and he said, this is the mountain where Jesus went to pray while he sent the disciples to the other side. Wow. You mean sometimes Jesus sends us into situations that he's aware of. We know he is omnipotent because he has all the attributes of the Godhead. So he knew about the storm before they ever sent them on the sea. He knew all about what was on the sea. But the Bible said he sent them and said, go forward, go to the other side. This is a purpose, this is the plan, this is my instruction, this is my mandate, go to the other side. And they set sail to go to the other side and Jesus sent the multitudes away, fat and sassy. And then he went into the mountain to pray. And I love that, that verse in there that says this, that he sent them away and he departed into a mountain and when even was come, the ship was in the midst of the sea. Verse 48 says, and he saw them. And he saw them. And he saw them struggling with the oars. He saw them struggling with trying to steer the ship in the proper direction. Is it possible, pastor, that Jesus sees us the same way? that he's aware of our struggle. He sees us rowing and straining and struggling, trying to keep the ship of our life on course, trying to go where he says go, trying to be who he says we are, trying to do what he says we should do. It's hard to row and keep the boat headed in that direction. Have you ever struggled keeping the boat in that direction? The storm was so large and the wind was so swift and your boat of your life was so small. But he saw you struggling. He saw every wave that threatened to overflow you. He saw every gust of wind that threatened to turn your little raft over. But somehow he saw them. And I want you to know here today that no matter what you're going through, he sees you. That no matter how you feel, what affliction, what difficulty or pitfall you have become victimized by, he knows the struggle and he knows where you are. He's watching from where he is. The Bible said the eyes of the Lord run to and fro in the earth. He's aware. The Bible said there is nothing that is hid from the eyes of him with whom we have to do. He watches. He hears. The Bible said his ear is cut to our cry. And the Bible said his eye is upon the righteous. The Bible said his hand is not shortened that it cannot save. He's aware of where you are, what you feel, and what you're going through. As I stood there on that mountain, I looked out over the Sea of Galilee and you could see all the way to the other side. 
it wasn't but about seven or eight miles. Many people think the Sea of Galilee is like a Pacific Sea or a Atlantic Ocean. It's not near. It's more of a lake than it is that it's about 19 miles long and about seven or eight miles wide. So you can stand on one side and see the other side easily. You can stand at the entranceway where the Jordan River flows into the north and you can see the end down there where it flows out at the south. It's not a big, big sea. It's more of a lake. And as you stand there on that mountain, you see everything. And it, to realize that Jesus stood on that mountain, looked out on that sea, saw the storm, and he actually saw the disciples rowing and struggling with the oars. There's a sermon right there, but it's another time, another place. Struggling with the oars, trying to keep the bark of your life headed in the will of God's direction. Harvest has done that for a hundred years now. And there have been some times, I'll guarantee you, when we struggled with the oars, been some times when the wind was contrary. In other words, the way we were going, it was blowing opposite. Now I want to tell you, when you're in the contrary wind, now most, I have to deal with that, Don has to deal with that, it's running a trolling motor when the wind's in your face. And if you don't want to work hard, you better not try that. You'll wear your foot out, won't you, Jimmy? trying to keep that boat going in the right direction because that wind, Justin, it'll blow the tail end of that boat around. Next thing you know, hey, it's terrible to fish in the back of the boat when the wind is contrary. You've never got a place to throw to. <laughs> Only the guy on the front has it positioned the way he wants it to go. That's a good way to beat somebody fishing. Ask Don, he'll tell you all about it. Contrary winds. Well, you know, when the Bible said that when Jonah ran from the face of God and ran from the direction of Nineveh, hey, Nineveh's that way, Jonah ran that way. He went exactly the opposite way to Tharshish. Wasn't going to Nineveh. God said, here's the destination. I've given you a message to preach to that city. I've got a great revival in their future. You're the preacher. Head that way. Get going. It's my will. It's my plan. But he just could not picture preaching a revival in Syria. Wow. That's the enemy. God, surely you don't want me to go over and do ministry to the enemy. That's the test of, of any faith fabric. It's when God asks you to do something that your flesh does not want you to do. When God's anointing and God's power and God's will is for you to do something specific but your flesh says, I'm not going to do that. That's too much, God. That's too overwhelming. That's too big a task. That's too big a sacrifice and I'm not going to do that. And so Jonah turned and went the opposite direction. And you all know what happened to him. Now the wind was contrary to that ship and they couldn't figure out. A storm happened and the wind was contrary. Why? Because he was going the wrong way. The wind will blow, hallelujah. 
When God's trying to turn you around, you need to go with the wind because, praise God, if he's got an anointed place for you to reach, amen, you need to get the wind at your back. The wind was contrary because he's going the wrong way. And he signed his own warrant when he said, hey guys, I'm a prophet and I'm an Israelite prophet and I'm on this ship running from God and said the best thing you can do is throw me overboard. My daddy would say you need to get shed of me. Sometimes on your boat that we're trying to get to God's will and God's purpose, you got to say, you need to get shed of me. Sometimes when you think you're doing good and headed in the right way, you need to get rid of you. I told you last week, the enemy is oftentimes in a me. In a me. When Jonah decided, you better get rid of me, and the Bible said God prepared a great fish. I don't know whether it was Megalodon. I don't know if it was any kind of Don. I wish he was in here so he'd get that joke. A Megalodon or whatever. But God prepared a fish. And that fish came up and gulped him down. And you're right, it made that fish sick. It made him so sick he had to throw up. In other words, there's nothing that will make you sicker than a backslid Pentecostal preacher. (laughs) And when he burped, that preacher out on the shore, Brother Michael, that preacher had a change of mind had a change of heart. He said, I'm going to hightail it for Nineveh just as fast as I can go. And by, buddy, he made record time reaching Nineveh. And God made a great revival happen right there as the result of Jonah's preaching. But that wasn't the end of his troubles. He got mad because God gave such a great revival. And sat down under a gourd and said, I'm just going to sit here and die. Wow, God has a lot of trouble with preachers, I'm just telling you. He really does. When Jesus stood on that mount and saw those disciples out there rowing, trying to get their boat straight and go where God told them to go, he was aware of their situation, but he didn't choose just to, listen, he could have, standing on that mountain, just said, hey, storm, You don't have permission to be on that lake. Storm, you stop your howling right now and waves, you snettle down. And it would have happened. In other words, he could have spoken from the mountain and said to the problem, problem, peace be still. And it would have happened. But somehow, He said, I need to go down there and get into the situation with them. I can do it from here, but I'd rather get down there right in the middle of the storm. In fact, 
what they're afraid of, I'd like to just walk on that and walk right out there to where they are, right in the middle of their situation, right in the middle of their circumstance, right in the middle of their dilemma and their fear and their frustration. I want to walk right in the middle of it. Glory to God. No wonder he was willing to go in the furnace when the three Hebrew children were cast into the fire. He said, I'd rather, I could do it from here, but I'd rather just go there and get in the fire with them. He, when the Red Sea was opened up, he said, I could do this from here, but I'd rather just go down there and be where it's all going down, where it's all happening, where all hell is breaking loose. I'd rather just get down there right in the middle of it all and bring peace in the midst of a storm. Could have done it from there. But he said, I'll just go down there and get in the middle of it. I love it when God comes down and gets in the middle of it, don't you? Jerry, he came down and got in the middle of it for you, didn't he, buddy? Hallelujah. Amy, he's come down and got in the middle of it for you. God's done miraculous things. He, he's still doing miraculous things. There's hardly a day goes by, Marie, but what somebody doesn't tell me is some miraculous thing that God has done for them. Hey, don't let the enemy or anybody else tell you that God does not do miraculous things. God answers prayer and God is faithful to his word. Whatsoever he says he will do, he will do. And he says, if you ask anything in my name, I will do it. Praise God. And the Bible said that Jesus came walking on the water. Now let's read this whole account here now because there's something in it that's missing that I want you to find for me. When even was come, he saw him rolling and the wind was contrary, fourth watch of the night, which is just before dawn. But when they saw him walking on the sea, they supposed it was a spirit and cried out, for they all saw him and were troubled and immediately he talked with them and saith unto them, be of good cheer, it's I. And he went up unto them in the ship. You should have stopped me right there and said, wait a minute, Brother Jerry, they left something out. Well, this is Mark's gospel right here that I read to you. In Matthew's gospel, Matthew inserts something into the story. And it's the story about a highly redactive person whose name was Peter. Peter was one of those folks that swung from the extreme poles. Yes, no, right, left, good, bad, light, dark. There was no in between. If he was right, he was really right. If he was wrong, he was really wrong. Brother, he didn't do anything halfway. He didn't have that equilibrium and that balance brother he was extreme one way or the other when Jesus said who do men say that I am he was the one who said, thou art the Christ the son of the living God it was Peter that came out and boldly declared to whom shall we go thou hast the words of eternal life it was Peter that was the leader of, of the band it was Peter that was the central figure in it all It was Peter 
that first saw the Lord. And when he saw him, he said to him, Lord, if that is you, command me to come to you. And Jesus immediately said, come. And the Bible said he climbed over the bow of the boat and he began walking on what other people sink in. I said he began walking on what other people sink in. And boy, he made it great as long as he was operating on the Word. The next verse says, But when he saw the wind boisterous, and he saw the waves, and he saw the condition he was in, he began to sink. The only difference in a walking on water, Peter, and a sinking in water, Peter, is he doubted what he heard because of what he saw. What he saw overwhelmed what he had heard. What he saw was more powerful than what he had heard. Could I tell you that all four of the evangelists record this, this gospel, this same occasion. It talks about Jesus. Matthew included the story of Peter walking on the water, slipping down and falling, and Jesus picking him up and lifting him up. Have you ever been sinking? Have you ever let what you saw become so powerful that you didn't remember what you had heard? Have you ever been so stressed over what you saw that you couldn't remember what God had said? Have you ever been so overwhelmed by the feeling, the emotion that you couldn't remember what God had said? Oh boy, the scripture's full of it. Though the fire should rise against you, it won't consume you. Though the flood should rage against you, it will not overflow you. Oh, glory to God. Those great verses of His power and His presence, the reason why God keeps you going forward when contrary winds are in your face is that He reveals Himself in the middle of your situation. The reason God rather would come into our situation is so rather than the wind get the credit, God says, I want to get the credit. Don't give the wind credit. Give God some credit. So God shows up in the middle of the storm so that you can't say the wind got the credit. Oh, you'll get this in a minute. God shows up so you can say, God did it. God worked it out. 
God did the deed. God brought salvation. God did the healing. God supplied my need. Yes, yes, finances may be stressed, but God is for you. Relationships may be strained, but God is for you. Patience may be worn thin, but God is for you. Hope may be diminished, but God is for you. Trials may be fiery and temptation may be hard to bear, but God is for you. Glory to God. Burdens may have weighted you down, but God is for you. Health may be failing. Strength may be going weak, but God is for you. And if God be for you, who in the world could be against you? Hey, what shall ever separate me from the love of God in Christ Jesus? Neither things past nor things to come nor angels nor any other being shall ever be able to separate me from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus. Let come what may, I still can say, my heavenly Father watches over me. Glory be to God. Hallelujah. Come on and give God some praise in this house. Hallelujah, hallelujah. That's the Jesus I've come to know. I know him as my healer. I know him as my Holy Spirit baptizer. I know him as my soon coming king. I, I know him as my answer to prayer. I know him as my, my all cleansing, all sufficient Christ, my gracious, forgiving, loving, heavenly Father. Hallelujah, thankful, thankful, thankful you who also will do it hallelujah he will do it Peter the narrative of St. Mark's gospel was written a few decades after the crucifixion it mostly was fed to Mark Mark is the son of sister Mary Mark who was a member of the church at Jerusalem she was a sister to Barnabas, who was the son of consolation. It was at her house where they were praying for Peter to be let out of jail. Do you remember? Their pastor. Peter offered so much information to Mark to write down. So most of what is written in the Gospel of Mark came from Peter, James, and John. So listen. While Peter was dictating this chapter to Mark to write, don't you think it ironic that Peter left out the walking on the water part? And I sometimes get to thinking, I wonder why he didn't tell Mark to put that in there because, you know, Mark had heard from other disciples I imagine that was a story that was often rehearsed, Trish. I imagine everybody in the first century knew about Peter walking on water. But when Peter was dictating the letter and the gospel himself, 
He left that part out. Could it be that he was embarrassed over the fall and the slip and the sink? Could it be that he just didn't want to rehearse that again? He had enough baggage denying Christ, leading the whole of apostolic band away and saying, I go a fishing, and they say, we all go also with thee. He said, maybe I've got enough negative going on already. I don't need anything else negative, so just don't write that in there. I'd rather you just wouldn't put that in there. But Matthew put it in there, and thank God he did, because we know it today. But why did Peter not want that in the Gospel of Mark? Because Mark was the earliest Gospel that was preached. Mark was the very first of the Gospels that were written, and Matthew echoed and mimicked many of the things that were told in the Gospel of Mark. Mark was the most circulated Gospel of all the Gospels. Mark was the most popular read. In all the early churches, Mark was the most coveted Gospel of them all. And why would Peter, Peter, you walked on water, man. You did something nobody else has ever done. If I'd been one of us, we said, hey, get that in the book. Make sure you tell that part. But Peter said, no, don't put that part in there. Peter looked at that situation and he said, it's not so important that I walked on water. What is more important is that Jesus came to the situation. Because immediately when Jesus caught him and reached down and caught him and lifted him up and stepped into the ship, the Bible said, and the wind ceased. And the wind ceased. Brother, there's nothing quite like that moment when the wind ceases, is there? That moment when that doctor says, no cancer. That moment when, when the relative said, everything's going to be all right. That time, that moment when the wind ceases. And I want to tell you, that happens when Jesus enters your ship. It may be a dark night. Maybe some bad things happened and some bad things going on. But I'll tell you, when Jesus gets in the ship, things will get better. Things will get better. Things will get better. Better. I know of so many instances when that night of despair was long and dreary, but when Jesus entered the situation, things got better. Stand with me, please, all over this house. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, God. I would like for us to do something this morning, and I love it. I do it often. I want everyone in this house that can get to this altar, I want you to come down front with me and bring your burden with you. Bring your burden with you. Bring your problem with you. Bring your need with you. Bring the hardship. Bring the pain, bring the heartache, bring the sorrow, 
bring the disappointment, bring the hurt, bring it all with you. Bring it all with you. Take your burden to the Lord and leave it there. Leave it there. Take your burden to the Lord and leave it there. Take your burden to the Lord and leave it there. He is a burden bearer. Let me tell you this. The Bible said he is not a high priest that cannot be touched by the feeling of our infirmities. That's important for us to know that he knows how it feels. He knows the emotion that's attached to what's going on. There are needs all, all over this room this morning from one side of this altar to the other. I'm looking in the face of people that this week have called me and said, I don't know how in the world I'm going to get through this. There are faces in this group right here that have said, Pastor, I can't stand no more. That's all I can take. There are people standing right here this morning that have said that if God doesn't do something for me, I'm not going to make it. And I wanted to preach about blessings this morning. My plate was so full of hurting people. And all that I know to do is what God said. He said, just gather them together and I'll meet with them. I'll meet with them and I'll bear their sorrow and I'll bear their pain. I'll bear their hurt. I'll bear their disappointment. I'll bear all of that that's going on. You just tell them to give it to me and cast all of their care upon me because I care about them. Could I tell you that if you had been the only person on this planet that was lost and needed a Savior, Jesus would have come from heaven and went to the cross for just one of you. If you were the only one that needed it, He would have come to this earth and did it for you. Wow. Come on, Pastor. Church is full of people. He would have done that for just me. Yes, if you were the only one that was lost, the only one that needed salvation, he would have come to this earth, offered himself on the cross just for you. Just you. You are so special to him that you have a blueprint of your life. For we were called with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to His eternal purpose, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before the world began. Did you hear that? Before the world began, God had an eternal purpose and you were part of it. Wow. I'm trying to let you know how special God feels about you and how much God cares about you. The Bible said that if a, a sparrow doesn't fall to the ground, and the reading says in the King James, without your father. The original reading of that text says, it doesn't say that he just knew about it, but the original Greek says presence. It talks about presence. 
Do you mean to tell me that my heavenly Father is present when a little sparrow freezes and falls off the limb that my Father is there to cup his hands and break the fall of that sparrow? Is that what you're telling me? You mean that God is so caring and so tender that he cares for lilies of the field and sparrows? And Jesus said, are not you greater than sparrows? Don't you know that if God is going to take care of a sparrow, that he'll take care of you? Don't you know that if God takes care of lilies of the field, that God's going to take care of you? Oh, what a God he is. He's a caring God, and he's a merciful God. And he knows he's seen you. He's seen you this week. He, he watched you struggling with those oars this week. He's watched you if you've, as you've strained beneath the load you were under this week. He's watched from heaven where he is. He's watched and he said, Pastor, gather them together today and I'll come down and I'll get in the mix. I'll come down and get in the situation with them this morning. I'll get on board their ship with them this morning and I'll bring peace just like I did on that Sea of Galilee. I wish that I had the clip of our group sailing on that Sea of Galilee that day. We all sung those songs. And as we sung those songs, Barbara, something fantastic happened. What was it? A, a rainbow. A rainbow. From one side of that Sea of Galilee all the way to the other side. What is a rainbow? It's a promise. I said it's a promise. Touch somebody and say it's a promise. It's a promise. That rainbow stretched from one side of that Sea of Galilee all the way from the Golan Heights all the way over to a little village called En Gev where we ate St. Simon Peter's fish. What about that? That rainbow, Shelley, was about a promise. And God is saying to everybody that's standing here this morning, I promise you, I promise you, I'll filter everything that comes your way. And I promise you, I will not allow a load to be put upon you that you cannot bear. I promise you that I'll not let the adversary have his way. I promise you that no weapon that the enemy shall fashion against you will prosper. I promise you that no evil shall come nigh thy dwelling. I promise you that I'll never leave you and I'll never forsake you, but I'll go with you all the way, even unto the end of the world. I promise you, I promise you that I will deliver you out of the snare, that many are the afflictions, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. Can anybody say all? all? All. The Lord delivers them out of them all. I want to pray a prayer for you right now, and I want you to believe with all the faith you can muster that whatever the need is, if it's financial, if it's emotional, if it's relationship, whatever it is, somebody, the Lord just said, somebody's wrestling with their faith today. The devil's been telling you that you're not saved. And the Lord told me to tell you that's a lie. That's a lie. You hold on to your faith. Don't you, don't you give in to that kind of doubt and fear. The Lord saved you by his grace. He's with you. He's with you. Thank you, God. Thank you, Lord Jesus. My God, I feel his presence this morning, don't you? 
God, I have done exactly what you said for me to do. I've brought this congregation to this altar, and we're gathered here, O oh Lord, and we hear your promise, and we know, O oh Lord, your faithfulness. Many, many times, O oh God, we've seen your faithfulness. Many times we've seen your mighty hand work, O oh Lord, where there seemed to be no way. Lord, so many miracles, so many times when you made a way where there seemed to be no way. You're a God of miracles. You're an awesome God. And you're my God. And my God shall supply all of our needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. God, your word said faithful is he that promised you. The word says your promises are yea and amen. The word says that the Lord is not slack concerning his promise. God, we believe your promise this morning. And we believe that your grace and your power is going to intervene in our situation. We believe that healing is going to come. We believe that supply is going to come. We believe that deliverance is going to come. We believe that restoration is going to come. We believe, oh Lord, that reconciliation is going to come. We believe that salvation is going to come. We believe that revival is going to come. We believe, oh Lord, that you're going to do what you promised. Oh God, we just believe you today to be faithful for your promise. Your word said that Moses staggered not at the promise of God. That Abraham staggered not at the promise of God. The patriarchs didn't stagger at the promise. God, don't let any of us stagger out of here today with any kind of unbelief, but help us, Lord, to lay hold upon the hope that is set before us. Oh, yes, God, there's a home in heaven, but there are trials to endure, but we get there. Yes, there's a crown of life that fadeth not away, but there are burdens to be borne here till we get there. Yes, there are loved ones waiting for a grand reunion, but, Lord, we've got to run the race with patience while we're here. God, give us the stamina. Give us the strength. God, give us the wisdom to keep the boat of our life headed toward your will and your purpose. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Still the storm, quiet, all of the thunder and all the noise. And God, let there be a, a calm and a peace so that these people in this altar will, like the disciples in that boat, they wondered. God, I pray that you do something so powerful in people's lives as the result of this prayer and this altar, that they will wonder and say, my, what great things God has done. Oh, Lord, let this be the first day of recovery. Let this be the first day, oh, Lord, of revival. Let this be the first day of restoration. Let this be the first day of needs being supplied. We pray that prayer in the strong and the mighty name of Jesus. Amen and amen and amen. Now, it's our custom to give praise to God. To lift up praise. About, about 30 seconds of the best praise you got. Can you give me your best? The best praise you got. The best you got. Glory to God in the highest. Bless the Lord, oh my soul. Bless the Lord. Clap your hands, oh ye people. Be thankful unto him 
benefit such are all people. 